The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular, Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, howdy, y'all, and welcome to Cinema Arcade. Well, bless your heart. We're so glad you could join us today. Uh, why don't you go on back and sit on the patio? We went by the HEB and we got the good brisket, and then we also got this really nice head cheese from this nice little place up in Round Rock. So you just help yourself from that. It's a nice little family-run <laughs> business. We don't really know exactly where the meat comes from, but Lord, is it tasty. Why don't you go have a seat? My name is Steve Guntley, y'all. How you doing? My name's Justin Wilhelm, and I know where the cheese comes from. <laughs> I try not to do offensive accents. Is uh, that offensive? <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> Look, I've seen a lawnmower race in my life. <laughs> well, welcome, everyone. Uh, we are kicking off my very favorite time of year. Uh, it's October. It is spooky season. I'm going to be immersed in horror movies, as is my want. And I'm dragging you guys along with me because we're going to be doing a whole month of horror movies and horror movie games. And we're starting off with one that is uh, near and dear to our physical proximity. I would say that's the best way to put it because we're talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And all three of us are currently Texans. None of us original Texans, but we are all Texas. current Texans. Well, okay, but you were also spent a lot of time outside of Texas. Uh, yeah, when I was nine, I moved to Michigan, the land of the ice and snow. Yes, yes. Okay, so I, I, I guess I had that wrong. I thought you were like a Michigan native and then transplanted here, but you're a Texas no, native. No, when I was a small child, my family ripped me from the loving arms of Texas and <laughs> put me in a snowdrift. Look, is... Does Texas really have loving arms at this point? It's just I, when you're a child and you okay. don't understand politics. <laughs> See, I don't know I, if I, I the, uh, identify as a Texan. Yeah. yeah, I think kind of the uniting feature of people who live in Texas is that we're all like a little wary about the fact that we live in Texas. <laughs> and we have to we have to be prepared to put a lot of asterisks on the end of like we we're always say like, yeah, we're, we I live in Texas. Oh, it's, it's OK. We, we live in Austin. <laughs> it's OK. Don't worry. We're cool. We're cool. <laughs> we're not cops. Um, you know, there always needs to be a bit of clarification but this is a movie that was filmed by austinites around the austin area it is kind of built into the local lore around here and i'm very excited to talk about it because it also currently has a very popular video game so there's a lot for us to dig into here um i believe this is justin's first experience with uh, with good old classic tcm uh yeah. and me and jayban have seen it before correct mm -hmm. yeah yeah, we, that's yeah. Correct. um so i'm i'm excited to 
get into your feelings on this one because I know we, we're, we're probably going to differ on our takes on this movie a little bit. I had wagered that might be the case. That's okay. And that's Do okay. Have, this oh. is a movie that is uh, the definition of not for everyone. You know, um, I think just the title alone is kind of enough to tell you if this is for you or not. Are you from Texas? Do you like chainsaws? What about a massacre? <laughs> Pro massacre, This one's obviously. right up your alley. Um, a little background on this movie, because it is a weirdly important movie for film history. Uh, this was released October 11th, 1974. It's directed by Toby Hooper and written by Hooper and Kim Henkel. And it stars Marilyn Burns, Jim Seidel, Paul Partain, Alan Danzinger, William Vale, Terry McMinn, Edwin Neal, and the great Gunnar Hansen. This is not a movie that's set out to be one of the most important independent films of all time. And that, that is kind of what it became. This is part of like that great grindhouse tradition of the 70s of just getting the most lurid possible title you could get onto your horror movie and just hoping that would be enough to get the kids into the drive-thru. Uh, but this movie, I feel, feel like, is made with an unusual level of intelligence and skill for this kind of movie. And also there's this weird Mandela effect that people have with this movie where they remember it being a lot gorier than it actually is. There's really very little blood and guts in this movie. It's all implied. It's all implied, but the thing is that makes this movie stand out is that they have stunningly images. Like, the set pieces are gruesome. Like, yes. the opening image is gruesome. Um, you're, like, having all of these um, taxidermied, de desiccated, dead bodies, and these artistically, like avant-garde poses yeah. and they're just deeply disturbing absolutely right from the get-go i mean it, it's got a great opening title crawl which is uh read by john larroquette people might know him from the show night court and from being a multiple tony award winner this is his first film role which he took in exchange for i think four joints is what he said like <laughs> that's what he did this uh voiceover for uh but it it sets up this really vivid and tactile world you know like the, the, this is a movie that has a coat of grime over it oh you are messing with that mic and then, we all know terrible things happen i'm poor so willow, concerned it's gonna fall out poor willow has died <laughs> because I, you must fidget i have the easy to turn off mic so you do too and you killed it for a lot of balls of fury too so oh. <laughs> All of us fidgeters, we gotta try. I'm, I'm gonna get fidget spinners for all of us. Yeah, yeah. for all of us, so we stop messing with our mics. We, Legitimately, it's a tactic I've used before. Uh, when when we were playing the game, slight spoiler, we had to wait in a queue for a little while for a game to start. And J Band's like, "What are you doing?" I'm just like clickety clacking the thumbsticks <laughs> on the PlayStation controller because that's what I do when I don't have anything else to do. Oh yeah, I just fidget with the controller. I think we're all fidgeters. I'm a, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a twitchy sob for sure uh much like the hitchhiker in this movie oh I, my gosh oh my god I, that is I, a I, twitchy boy do you have more intro to get through before uh, i just want to go a little bit into detail about this so toby hooper was uh working as a cameraman for the news division at the university of texas here in austin oh. he got put on a story that was happening in houston i believe which was a uh, a serial killer a mass murderer that was happening by the name of what was his name elmer henley uh, I think he's just known as like the the Houston murderer or something. He doesn't get a cool like serial killer name. He's just the Houston murderer. But uh, he he was covering that, and he was also reading about other serial killers, specifically Ed Gein out of Wisconsin, who is the infamous serial killer that inspired Norman Bates and Buffalo Bill in uh, Silence of the Lambs and Leatherface in this movie. Uh, so he decided to kind of write a script around 
this sort of idea. The original draft of the script was just called Head Cheese, which he co-wrote with uh, <laughs> his collaborator, Kim Henkel. Um, and they recruited actors from the local Austin theater scene, including uh, Marilyn Burns as the lead and Icelandic-American actor Gunnar Hansen, who plays the hulking and very iconic horror villain of Leatherface. Uh, this film was notoriously difficult to shoot. Uh, anybody listening to this in Texas knows it gets <laughs> hot as fuck in the summer in Texas. And yet that's yeah, when they Texas, chose. Steve. Yes, thank you. Good to be here. Uh, and so it it uh, they were shooting this in the summer in 110 degree heat. And this is in the era before AC was kind of in everything. So they were sweating it out. The blood that they used in this movie was all real blood from a local slaughterhouse. So they were trapped in this house up in Round Rock with blood having to be splashed on the walls regularly to keep it fresh for the different shots. So you can imagine in that heat the stink that was coming off of that. I mean, the the cast was getting really irritated with each other. They were all sniping. They were really... I, I think they were really approaching like an actual level of madness. And I think that's part of why this movie feels so imbued with that energy, you know, because they were actually really going through it. J. Ben, you were saying like the, the, the Toby Hooper said the cast hated him. After yeah, they this. said that they absolutely hated him. It took them a long time to cool down. And I'm like, I don't know, like, as a um, as a person who likes to direct things themselves, like you do feel like sometimes there's no excuse not to treat your actors well. So yeah. like you do wonder. But, you know, this is happens in the 70s and people are um, I, I don't know. I'm just like. I always have a soft spot in my heart for kind directors. Yes. But sometimes it seems like um, some of these directors just they think that authenticity equals reality. And that's that's not what you're paying an actor for. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. Like, yeah. It's it's something that weirdly comes up like in and around improv every once in a while where you get somebody and this happens elsewhere, probably a lot more often where you get somebody who feels like. It's like the, uh, oh God, it's like if, if blood, it, mm, there's a, there's a saying that I'm forgetting right now that I want to use, but I can't, but it's like, uh, some blood has to be spilled. Like some, so, some pain you can't, you can't make an omelet. Happen. Yeah. Like you have to crack an egg to make well, an omelet. There's so many, like the, the, um, Sally, the protagonist, uh, Marilyn Burns, I think that's her name. Yes. Um, uh, like she got cut when she was running through the brushes. They cut her thumb because they like uh, when and had a man suck her finger. Yeah. While uh, she was actually bleeding. Yeah. It just seems a little like mm, <laughs> a little ouchy. And all, honestly, I think it's some form of like. Uh, sadism to uh, do this during July when you could easily do this during like December. 100%. Yeah, you could like the, that's the thing about like uh, summers in Austin is uh, like they, they kind of keep going, but like it's going to stay hot in Austin until probably like November, yeah. like late October, it, early November. It's so, like, such like an irrational thing. And like this is far from the first, especially indie film, but even some of the more bigger and classic films had this problem where like the director needed to have some kind of distress on the actors because they felt that that was what was needed to make the movie good. Uh, because apparently that's how you get around paying an actor who's good at that. Yeah. So you just torture somebody who you don't know if they're that good at it. 
you know, there's there's a there's a whole argument to be made about kind of the extremes that some artists need to go to for their yes. art and whether or not it's worth it that they actually make them go through it. Toby Hooper, by all accounts, uh, he died a few years ago, uh, but he, by all accounts, was a pretty laid back guy when he wasn't on the set of this particular movie. He was a pretty easy guy to get along with other than this. But uh, uh, it, you could imagine, like, he was pushing them to kind of some extremes. But you can see it on the screen. Kind of to some extreme. Yeah, yeah. If I got asked to film a movie in consistent 110-degree weather, granted, I've never been a part of a movie production in any way, shape, or form, mm. but I do know it's going to take more than, like, four hours. I would say no. I don't know. I So I've done, like, I, I, um, I was shooting a movie this summer, uh, and, like, I literally had to be outside for, I don't know, a couple, maybe a couple couple hours in 110 degree heat and uh i i just really love the director so the the director is so nice so like i suffered i got chigger bites uh there's um Uh, all up and down my legs and they were they were on my i had these bites on my legs for like four weeks uh it's ridiculous and um so i just imagine all these other untold tolls that the cast had to do from running around uh rural texas in the summertime um, and I think, yeah, it's like you said, if you love the director and if you believe in the project, like a lot of the time you'll be willing to go yeah. to these lengths. But your mileage well, like, may and vary, I've also you know? done like I've also done a movie where I was like bathed in fake blood. Yeah. Uh, and it's so sticky. And it stinks. It's so sticky. It stinks. Like I had to have blood like coming out of my mouth. Uh, and it was just like it's very intense. Uh, but like if you if you work with good people, it, it generally like the discomfort is worth it because yeah. you're, 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 you feel like you're part of a team. And especially if they're supportive and like helpful and not torturing you. Yeah. You're like, I'm down with this. Like I'm in because we're doing this together and it's not just me being fucked with to make a, a, a project. It, it's a it's a debate that continues to this day of like you know what you should be uh, pushing yourself to do and like how much consent comes into this matter. But I think it's fair to say that the the rough conditions of the movie really helped to uh, make this movie as potent as it was and really kind of made it stand out from the other sort of exploitation slasher films of this era. This was a very early slasher film. I think you can safely call it that. Yeah. It established a lot of the conventions that would become standard in a horror film, you know, like this large, seemingly unkillable monster that's like, you know, almost supernatural in how evil it is, but like still uh, rooted in some humanity. I just had a thought. Mm. Is this also a precursor to Home Alone? <laughs> well, that is Macaulay Culkin playing Leatherface. Uh, I don't know if you know that. Uh, fun fact about that one. Yeah. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin went back in time to play Leatherface. Uh, as an that's adult. why uh, Leatherface kept slapping his hands to the side of his face and going, Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah. like, legitimately, and we mentioned this, uh, we talked about this briefly while we were playing the game earlier. Uh, I, was, I was reading the. Uh, did I just steal a note from you? No, energy. Oh, outages. your power's out. <laughs> we are. Uh, we, we have a storm we are, coming. We are in, recording so. this in the midst of a pretty epic-looking thunderstorm. So, like, the <laughs> sky is cracking outside. Like, there's our actual Garth Brooks song playing. Yeah, uh, I, I have. We have. We're some on a friends. remote system. We're on a battery-powered system, yeah. so we should be fine. But yeah, we, we might have be some doing friends this in the dark. who live north, and I also live north. And them and my roommates are reporting heavy rain and hail. So we're like, all right. Yeah. People in um, Austin are going to be able to pinpoint exactly when we recorded this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, just um, when. Uh, but going back to where I was at, uh, I was 
I had mentioned that I was reading a synopsis on IMDb, and uh, I'm not going to lie. All of the men except Franklin, I do not remember their names. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Jerry. Yeah, there's a Jerry. There's a Jerry in there. Is he the and first then, one to die? No, no. And he's the second one to die. Because oh, he's, he's the, the one with the afro. He's technically yeah. the third one to die because he goes to try to check in on the couple. Uh, yeah. Right? yeah. They scream Jerry's name maybe 50 times. Oh. They do. Yeah. Yeah. You um, really get that drilled in. But when it when it came for him to come check, now the first two people have already been killed. Oh wait, wait! B- before we get into oh. that, we have to go into the weird as fuck opening. Oh yes, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. The hitchhiker, we were there. The hitchhiker. We before we get to the murders, the hitchhiker, the weird like ableist. Oh message my god! Of this movie, like I don't like it's again. This mate was made over forty years ago, so. Yeah, almost 50 yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. almost 50 yeah. years ago. So I was just like, what were, What was going on to write that like that weird uh, – because like in classic horror movies, there's often the harbinger, mm-hmm. which is uh, usually the um, – so it would be the cook who was all like, y'all better get out of here. Yeah. Uh, and I call him the crazy Ralph off of Friday the 13th. <laughs> there's a crazy Ralph in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, was, this, was this the guy who was like falling off his ass drunk? Yeah, and like okay. in um, – in Cabin in the Woods, they just name him the archetype, the Harbinger. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's well, because also uh, Cabin in the Woods has another reason for doing that. Yeah. yeah. But, and it's, it's the guy at the gas station, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and like, even before you get to the Harbinger, you get this weird guy who does a magic trick. <laughs> <laughs> he takes a photo and does like witchcraft. And like, there's also like this, this uh, other, there's this underlining like they don't ex- they don't under we don't go into the philosophy of the family but it definitely is like indicated that there is some sort of like hoodoo um witchcraft that's going on with Yeah, they the have bones. some they have some kind of like primitive religion or something that they follow. Like it's all like the the incredible thing about this movie is that like we wander into the house and like into this world of of the family. I I'm, I'm going to take the nomenclature from the game. Uh, we wander into this world of the family, and we are just as alienated by it as all of the protagonist characters. And we're never given a good explanation. No, I think one of the weaknesses of the many remakes of this movie is that they always try to give some kind of backstory or some kind of history. And I think that's missing the point. Mm-hmm. Because what this movie is, at its very best, is a filmed nightmare. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what's really cool about I, it. Like not gonna lie, I've had nightmares that closely resemble this movie. <laughs> well, especially there's this protracted so once all of the other characters are picked off and it's just Sally and Leatherface squaring off against each other, there's this really protracted chase scene through the dark where Leatherface is just right on her tail, and sometimes she'll pull away a little bit, but then she'll get caught in weeds and he'll get closer and sometimes he'll slash at her and he'll almost get her and she'll pull away again. That is such nightmare logic. Yeah. Like yep. Your worst nightmares are the ones where, like, you're not getting caught. You're just almost getting you're caught. You're always in a state of, like, absolute extreme distress. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and, I yeah. other than I, I recently watched the movie Mother for the first time. I've never <laughs> seen that one before. And I think uh, until that movie goes off the rails in the final act, I think 
that is the best representation I've seen of nightmare logic mm-hmm. outside of Texas Chainsaw. But Texas Chainsaw still has something so, so much more visceral about it. And it's also not quite as far up its I own see. ass as Mother is. <laughs> the more I think about it, like the more that it rings true. Because you have like the weirdly, bizarrely, like fucked up different rooms in the house of like this. I there's no discernible reason these rooms should be like this, right? Other than just like insanity and torture, and but we uh, get the sense of like this whole very lived-in family yeah, history. Like I feel like yeah. this is this is like the macabre version of my mother's uh, quilting room. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to see your mother's quilting room. This is fewer bones, more bones. <laughs> <laughs> the same amount of feathers. The same <laughs> what if this is the sequel to the Adams family? <laughs> it's a pre yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, this is this is kind of what happens. But yeah, they, I mean it, it just feels so lived in. It feels like this is we are seeing the end result of generations of people living like this. And so we can imply all the different victims and all the different things that came before this. We're not seeing the beginning of this family's history and we're not no. seeing the end of it. Like, presumably we presumably there's an end that comes sometime after the movie but again it cuts you don't know yeah one one of the family members dies at the end of this film but the rest are still up and going and they continue in the sequels <laughs> I, oh man i honestly laughed so hard when that happened because i was just like oh my god yeah they just wrecked that dummy <laughs> But it's it's such a plot light movie, you know, like it, it's just uh, uh, kids on a road trip who get stranded and uh, they need to go look for gas and then they just keep getting picked off by this crazy hillbilly family. So it's something that I find really interesting about the beginning and about the main characters. There's two philosophies. Uh, there's a lot of philosophies, but there's two main philosophies about protagonists or victims in horror movies. And one is to make them likable and one is to make them unlikable. Yeah. Uh, we don't get to know our protagonist Sally uh, as a likable person until she is the victim of crime before that she's kind of a bitch uh, she's very mean to her brother uh, her brother is super annoying he's, he's so uh, annoying he's yeah. also mean too he but. is yeah but they're all unlikable they're not yeah. there's not a, a you know the uh, the girl who reads the horoscopes is adorable, but also like she's just trying to keep the peace and change the subject. Well, and I, yeah. I like that we have like the two like able-bodied male leads are like one of them's kind of a dorky looking guy, and the other one's like a traditionally handsome like leading man type, and he's the first to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't even remember his name. He dies so yeah. quickly. Yeah, and that's a great like. I think that's a subversion that a lot of great slasher movies use, where you take the I... arguably the ablest person in the group yeah. and you take him out. That's true. Uh, and I also like. I have a sucker. I am a sucker for a '70s t-shirt, like oh. a '70s floral uh, print shirt. Absolutely. And uh, Jerry's just wandering around in this floral <laughs> shirt, and I'm all like, "Dude, you're doomed." Oh man, <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, th- the fashions in this movie are pretty incredible, and they really work to the effect of the film itself. Now, my favorite example is that the uh, the secondary female. Again, I, I apologize. I'm forgetting her name, but the second the secondary female lead. She spends most of the movie wearing these short shorts and this very open back dress or that very open back shirt. And you see it and you think like uh, like there's a shot, a very famous shot of her walking up to the house. It's a low angle shot where we're kind of focusing on her butt. And it feels like, okay, this is exploitative. This is kind of like trying to cash on some sex appeal. What it's really doing 
is getting a, letting us get a very clear look at her bare back. We see that there is no fabric there to prevent the hook that's about to go into mm-hmm. it. So we don't need to see the hook piercing her skin at all. We have a very vivid idea of what that's going to look like. One, they let us fill in yeah. the gaps. So there are a lot of great kills in this. Um, and I think my favorite kill, and like I think it's probably in my top five kills of, uh, of horror movies, is the first initial kill. Oh, he just gets a beat down. And what, what it's just him out of nowhere, sledgehammer. Uh, and, and it's just like, and then him, like, um, they, they play um, uh, slaughterhouse sounds and he's kicking his legs. And it's just like. It's like convulsing. Yeah. Convulsing. And it's just so visceral. And that, that, black, that red door, that red door of death uh, is just like, it, it has such a feature. In all of this movie is that red door of death, uh, and which somehow for no apparent reason has a metal like sliding door. Yes, um, but that's so much more effective yeah. too. It just makes it feel like this this house has been kind of tricked out. And yeah, that first appearance of tricked Leatherface. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of all been it's custom- a trick. That's it's, for sure. It's all been customized. It's all been built around this whole lifestyle that they've made of hunting people. And, like, that first appearance of Leatherface, you can imagine, like, I don't know. I, when I saw this, it shocked the hell out of me, even yeah. though I had a, a basic concept of what this movie was. But it is one of those things, like, this thing that should not exist in our reality has very suddenly intruded on the movie, taken out our ostensible lead character in a really brutal way, and we have to watch his death rattles on the ground. Like, it is so shocking and so effective. Uh is this the point where I bring it back to the intro a little bit to say uh, what was really in that barbecue they ate? Uh, yes. I think it's definitely implied people. that it's people. But yeah. I also don't, I don't know. I think they probably keep the people for themselves. Um, it's probably a mix because it, it doesn't seem like many people come through here. Yeah. There's yeah. probably some kind of like sick sense of satisfaction to yeah. to get away with that with them having zero idea. Yeah. The Mrs. Lovett's Pie um, synopsis. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. I I was like the demon barber of Fleet Street, and I'm like, there's also more to accurate. this. Yeah, there's yeah. more to this That's title. That's what they call him. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm like, what was the what was the name that everybody usually uses? Yeah, um, Mr. Todd, if you're nasty. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call him. <laughs> Mr. Todd. Uh, but I, I, there, you know, you, you can nitpick the acting in this movie you can nitpick some of like the the line of sight or whatever you See, can you can you can pick on some of the things like I that i don't think the acting is great but i don't think it matters because like no except for marilyn burns i feel like she should get like an awesome like this is like one of the downsides uh, to like the anti-horror establishment in the oscars is because like her acting sheer terror running through things getting yeah. cut running it through in like the dutch angles of her screaming and her green green eyes oh. like it's it's stunning acting it's stunning editing um and it, it's just like it's so well done because like you i feel like there's very few horror movies that have the boldness to dwell in the despair of the victim, the way Texas Chainsaw Massacre does. I always think of her reaction as she's getting away at the end. She manages to get into a passing truck. She gets away. She's going to survive. 
but the look on her face, like the combination of screaming and manic laughter and her eyes all wide and looking crazy, like it's clear. It's like she is never going to, you know, the tagline of this movie famously is who will survive and what will be left of them. There is not much left of her. Physically, she has survived, but she's never going to recover She will this. have PTSD for a long time, especially I mean, in that era. She's absolutely shattered, and you, like, you can't blame her for any of that. Oh, you know? God, no. Like, you know, there, there's so much of it is Leatherface, like, like chasing her through the woods and all that. But, like, the cook is almost the more frightening character because when he shows up, he's got kind of like a like a friendly, like Mr. Rogersy vibe. Yeah. So this this is one. of So I, I, I do like this movie. Um, I think that it's innovative. And I do think that um, a lot of the terror, they don't make her stupid but to have her be knocked out by a broomstick drove me fucking crazy <laughs> like she's such a badass and like i would have preferred to have her knocked on the head by a hammer or something rather than be like i'm i'm, I'm hitting you with a broom <laughs> while she's brandishing a knife yeah and this is kind of the weird thing about like i defend that choice because there is something, and maybe I'm insane, there's something weirdly funny about the final act of this movie because it has gone so far over the over the line of sanity. Like, when we get to meet Grandpa and we have this absolutely surreal scene around the dinner table where they're trying to get him to, like, club her with a hammer so that they could so, eat her brain. Like, almost I, weekend I that, at Bernie's. I think when you go to the hammer thing, the hammer dropping, I yeah. think it's surreal. I think before that, the scene at the table has stuck with me for over a decade. Yeah. Uh, just because I feel like the, there's something so visceral about her being at that table with um psychopaths um who don't care like and they're all dressed like leatherface puts up his apron and puts on a suit uh and and he's I, playing the mommy he puts on like a makeup. wig and makeup and a dress yeah. yeah um and uh and it's just like and they scream when she screams and there's just something so debilitatingly powerless about somebody screaming and making fun of you when you're in such yes. throes of terror. Again, that's the nightmare thing. And that's, again, the thing that Mother did really well, too, is just that, like, people are... You are trying to do the right thing in a nightmare, and people are ignoring you, or they're, like, casting you aside, or they're laughing at you. And, and there's no reasoning with this family. There's absolutely no... They live in their own reality, and they are not even going to acknowledge you as a person. You can't reason your way out of it. Uh, especially, like, the juxtaposition compared to the scene right before that, which is mm -hmm. just... A lot of frantic screaming and yelling yeah. as they, uh, as you get to see the family together for the first time yeah. in its entirety. I uh, mean, there there is a long section of this movie where dialogue just stops. Yeah. You know, yeah. where dialogue is just, it just comes overtaken with like screams and like a lot of people shouting incomprehensibly over each other. But again, I had subtitles on and it was still uh, yeah, overwhelming. It, it's still going to affect that same thing. But like you said, you had kind of you, you're not really a horror movie guy in general. Um, like I like horror movies, but I would say that I prefer more of like the atmospheric horror. Yeah. Uh, direction and less of the like, like wanton slaughter, like some slasher movies do a good job at keeping mm. the tension and keeping that there. Um, this movie, there wasn't tension. It was just panic yeah. the whole time. 
and like, eh, not quite my thing. Okay. I mean, that's fair. It's fair. It was a movie that put a lot of people off when it came out. Like, critics were pretty dismissive of this. But the weird thing about this movie is that it started making money, and it started making a lot of money. For its $80,000 budget at the time, it made more than $30 million, which would be the equivalent of about $150 million today, uh, which is pretty impressive for just a scrappy little Especially independent production. considering the fact that the total investment, you said 80000 Yeah. Uh, like the total investment, that money that you just, the dollar amount you just said, what was it 130? Yeah. Uh, that's profit. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just pure profit. Like maybe, yeah. <laughs> like maybe a couple hundred thousand total went into everything, uh, advertising, distribution, whatever. Yeah. But like that's almost entire profit because nowadays you get movies that, you know, it costs forty million and it makes one hundred and thirty million. This movie cost eighty thousand. I and there's there's a lot of interesting stuff that happened with the distribution of this movie. This movie was originally released by a company called Bryanston Production Company, which you've never heard of, but they are weirdly important in film history because they are the distributors of movies like uh, Deep Throat, which was obviously this huge iconic uh, uh, cultural moment. Uh, you get movies like The Party at Kitty and Studs, which is a pornographic film that is the film debut of Sylvester Stallone. Uh, Dark Star, which is the debut of uh, John Carpenter. We have Bruce Lee's Return of the Dragon. Lots of really important movies from this era. They went out of business in the late 70s with like a lot of corruption issues. So the rights to this movie have bounced around a lot. And that's why we have like three different remakes of this movie like three different total reboots like they keep rebooting this movie there were four movies that were part of the same franchise like it went one two three four and then we had the first reboot in 2003 then that got a prequel then we got another reboot in 2012 and then that got a prequel and then we got another reboot just last year so it keeps like starting over because the rights are just constantly in flux it's like when you see the Spider-Man origin story eight times and you're like, thank God we pretty much skipped it this time. Oh, wait, did, un did Uncle Ben die? Oh, is. gee. Oh, no, not Uncle Ben. Yeah, like, yeah. look, we've seen many Uncle Bens die. We get it. All oh, right. no, did Batman's mom drop her pearls after she got shot? Oh, <laughs> damn. I need to see that 12 more times. Yeah. No, exactly that. Yeah, so they, they just kind of keep redoing it because there is something – very primal and very uh, uh, sticky about this concept, but I don't think any of the sequels have really ever captured the the thing that makes this movie special. Well, and I feel like the thing that makes this movie special is that there are a lot of horror movies that are timely, but not timeless. Yeah. And I feel like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is timeless. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's, um, there's just so much um, to be said about the incredible like set pieces like the product the production design like um again i don't like the fact that the um the secondary female character was like like fainting when she saw the all the um arts and crafts yeah, um sure. the effigies <laughs> the yeah. effigies the arts and crafts the couch there was a couch there's uh there's a couch uh there, there was like a, a very beloved chicken in a like in a tiny um a tiny cage yeah uh feathers all over the ground yeah um and it was just like um the production design in this is so strong. Yes. Uh, and uh, like the lamp that they did was straight out of something that the, they, they found at Ed Gein. Um, the, um, the lampshade with the, the lampshade. skin. Yeah. yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, that was something he did. He made belts out of people. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I saw that this was in, uh, inspired by him, and I read everything except the murders because I'm like, you know what? I don't think I want to know. Ed Gein only murdered two people. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of the weird thing about him for being one of the most infamous, like, inspirations for all these uh, unbelievable movies. Like, he only murdered two people. He's a relatively, like, small-scale serial killer, uh, but he just defaced a lot of bodies, and what he did was just so shocking, you know. Um, but, yeah, look into him if you want to be uh, a weird serial killer kid like uh, like me and Jay Ben. apparently. <laughs> that's what we and discovered. definitely Ailish, yeah. Uh, when we were sitting on the couch waiting because we had to install, download and install an update in order to play the game, uh, they were all talking about rattling off serial killers and serial killer stories, and I'm just like... Look, it's undeniably yeah. fascinating. You <laughs> like, know? I don't, I don't have any of this information. <laughs> like, the information that I have is on the famous ones, and I have way less than hey, y'all do. Yeah. I don't know much about Formula One. That's hey, true. You know what? I basically Look, know nothing about it. I. <laughs> oh no! I said Formula One. Not just is gonna, gonna say, go off. No, 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 I was about no. to mention. We, His brain we, we went to Six Flags one time, and I basically briefed <laughs> Jay Ban on the entirety of Formula One. <laughs> oh dear lord! While we were waiting in line, you're just like, While and you're just like lines. trapped. You can't get away from that at all. I I love learning about new things. Sure. So I enjoyed the conversation, but I also realized, other than the fact that I know that there's a fancy young guy that's like all the rage, uh, yeah, like fancy young man, yeah, <laughs> fancy young man, the Formula One driver. <laughs> <laughs> He's really good. And there was all this drama because, like, um, it was so Sorry. funny. It was like uh, Justin was, was talking about like no. the um, uh, Desperate Housewives version of Formula One, where like everyone's like <laughs> stabbing each other in the back. Oh my and, lord! Uh, so it was very dramatic. But I, w- we were waiting for forty-five minutes to get on this uh, roller coaster ride. That's a good time to get a briefer. Yeah, no. Every, yeah. every time I want to annoy Ailish, I just start rattling off facts about uh, horror movies. So just like I do the same thing. What I do on this podcast, where I rattle off facts about Limp Bizkit, oh, oh, a bit that needs I'm, to die. Touched oh. on some corn before we started recording. Oh, dear lord, it's a good time. Well, um, speaking. Wait, before we move yeah, on. Uh, yes. Speaking of the soundtrack to this is so fascinating. Yeah. Because horror and atmospheric music go hand in hand. And there is, I don't think there's a single instrument in the uh, score of this um, movie. I, yeah. I think it's all like creepy slaughterhouse sounds and like dissonant moans. Yeah. Uh, but it was just like, it was a really interesting sound design for something uh, when uh, like music is integral to horror. Yeah. And, and I'll say... Uh, I didn't notice the music much when I was watching, partly because I don't tend to like lean into that that too much, but none of it was out of place. And I think the fact that I didn't notice the music in this horror movie with a lot of high action, high like intensity and panicked scenes, yeah, I'm assuming means that it fit with what was happening so well that my brain was just like yeah there, no there this just makes wasn't sense. Mi- there just wasn't music there wasn't oh, it's no. just the soundtrack is just the the constant hum of that chainsaw you know oh like, so i guess i didn't miss the soundtrack <laughs> you know it's it's one of those movies that just like you know you you go see it because it's got a wild title you know it's it's like the the sharknado or the velocipaster or whatever like you <laughs> you you go see it because it's got a wild title but this is a movie that has like so zombie much more, verse yeah exactly it's got so much more going on under the surface like 
it, critics were slow to embrace this one. Like, obviously, you're, you don't want to be the critic who's giving an endorsement to a movie called Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974. But the film has just grown in reputation. It was on the sight and sound poll like 10 mm-hmm. years ago, like a high ranking on the sight and sound poll. Like, it's kind of become acknowledged as like a canonical best horror movie. And when, I think it's cool that people have come around on it. When I told my roommate what movie I was going to watch, uh, he was like, oh... I don't want to spoil anything. And I'm like, he's like, it's, it's interesting. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, it, the first one, like the original goes, Oh, okay. I thought you bought the remake. Yeah. It's fun. It's yeah. a good time. No, the remakes are always a, a tough, like they're a tough watch. I would say watch the first two movies because the second one is one of the most gonzo black comedies you'll ever see. It, that one is as gory as people imagine this movie is. That one's just so over the top. Well, because now Dennis they Hopper have... has a chainsaw duel with Leatherface at the end of that movie. It's insane. It's so good. Now they have a hundred million dollars to spend on effects. You see, yeah, but I mean, but even even most of them are not. But that movie's been rebooted over and over uh the worst offender i think was uh texas chainsaw massacre the next generation that was shot in 94 it wasn't released until 97 because the two stars of that movie were young texan actors named renee zellweger and matthew mcconaughey and they both got sort of popular and so that movie got re-released despite them trying to stop it that movie is garbage it is a hot fucking pile of garbage so like, yeah they recorded the movie they they did the filming and they're like look i just want to make money and maybe get my name oh, oh my uh, garbage can just blew over out there that's fun yeah this is gonna be a fun night yeah it's gonna be a party <laughs> yeah, going on yeah yeah that explains the noises i've been hearing out that's there what the noises it's are. your garbage can having Should a party one it? moment bring it inside <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are we are back. We are we're having some wild weather here. I had like garbage bins flying around on my patio, so we had to go grab those. Now that we have rescued two garbage bins from ending up in the next county, absolutely. All right. Well, th- I think that's a good uh, a good time to transition over to the games that we're going to talk about here. Uh, we're going to do a quick little note on the original game. So there there was an original game that came out back in 1983. Uh, now this move this game was sort of important at its time. This was an Atari 2600 game. It was made by a company called Wizard Video Games. Uh, Wizard Video Games was created by a man named Charles Band, who has been the subject of my other podcast, Puppet Masters and Castle Freaks. He's the founder of Empire Films, founder of Full Moon Features, and he was also the founder of Wizard Video Games. Uh, he was always an early embracer of the home video market, So he was the one who bought up the rights to the Texas Chainsaw after the original production company went under. And he used that that license to produce a video game for the Atari 2600. He also did a game based on John Carpenter's Halloween, which we will cover uh, at a later date, uh, also for the Atari. Um, It was kind of controversial at the time because it was a movie being based on uh, what it was a game being based on what was then an X-rated film. And there was still kind of the perception back then that, like, oh, an Atari is a toy. It's for children. We shouldn't have these. So these Wait, games Texas were... Texas Chainsaw Massacre was rated X? It was. Initially. Oh. The, the X back and then was just the, yeah. the equivalent of an R now. Yeah, but he, um, the director thought, and I, I don't know how he thought that, he thought he was going to get a PG. Yeah, I don't know. Wait, I mean, there, was, there yeah. wasn't a PG-13 back then, keep in mind. And this movie actually doesn't have really any blood or gore. But what is not seen is far more disturbing than what you actually do see, I think. Uh, So, yeah. uh, So this Atari game came out back in 1983. Most stores refused to stock it. 
And so it's become kind of a rare collector's item. I only kind of brought up a video for the three of us to look at just because there's not really much to this game to talk about. You play as Leatherface, which is an interesting way of uh, approaching it back in 1983. You walk back and forth with like a chainsaw that looks like it is a part of your body. Like it looks like it's an arm that's just kind of jutting out. Uh, and you just try and hunt down different people on your property. But like it's it's not even a bad game it's just kind of a nothing game and it has really loud annoying sound effects very very, very, very it's like uh, i think that's supposed to be the scream right like when they see you that's supposed to be them screaming it's like if you pick the most annoying beep to use to bleep out something uh on like tv uh except loud and continuous okay yeah yeah so, I mean, there's just not really... See, the, the, the wind, wind is trying to break in. The wind sounds like it's trying to break the door yeah. down. It is crazy here right now. Do, do we lock it? Yeah, I might lock it. At what point do we feel safe from the wind? <laughs> <laughs> the call's coming from inside the atmosphere. <laughs> yes, that nasty old wind isn't going to get us this time. But I just wanted to bring up that game because it is an interesting footnote. It is interesting because... There were not a lot of games being based on, like, adult materials back in the day. I could do a whole episode about the pornographic Atari 2600 games that came out. That were... <laughs> what? Are you serious? Oh, th- those are real. There's a couple of notable ones. One of them is called Beat 'em and Eat 'em, uh, which is about what you expect it to be about. There's another one that is particularly infamous called Custer's Revenge, and I won't go too much into what that one's about, <laughs> but uh, pretty horrible. Rivet is wearing a hoodie right now. <laughs> Justin has seen a squirrel and is uh, chasing his ADD across the room. I just put it on her because I was like, what, what, what she'll do? Our dog back home will buck it off, and she's just running away. <laughs> I'm going to have to find my sweater. It's hers now. I'm sorry. You gave, you, you gave it to her. It's fine. Um, so, wait, wait. But, so, yeah. There was pornographic Atari games. There sure were. Was it in the vein of like Leisure Suit Larry or no, was it even like... more primitive? All right. So all right. I'm, I'm going to get into this. So Beat 'em and Eat 'em was you play uh, as two naked women who are looking skyward with their mouths open. Meanwhile, there is a man uh, pleasuring himself on the roof of a building <laughs> and your goal is to catch the droplets that fall. It's basically just a pornographic version of the game Kaboom. But that is what you're doing. And Custer's Revenge, uh, brace yourself for this one. Okay, I'm I'm bracing myself. All right, and this is uh, the most offensive game ever made. Uh, There is a Native American woman tied to a cactus across a field. You play as General George Armstrong Custer, and your goal is to walk across a very short field, dodge some arrows, and rape the, the Indian woman against a cactus. Are you fucking kidding this me? This is a real game. Ooh, this is a real what? game. It was made by a company, and again, I'm not kidding. Oh my god! The company's name was Swedish Erotica, uh, and they made a couple of these games that were infamous and banned. Why? Uh, when you said for this good is the most reasons. offensive game ever, I was like, how offensive can it be? And I'm like, oh no, it oh, is the yeah. most offensive game ever. It's like the most disgusting game it's ever. It's offensive on every level. It's also a very poorly made game, as you might imagine. Like, Not that any amount of good programming could make up for that concept, but uh, that's just kind of one oh, more my gosh, insult that's to so I'm just imagining how many watch lists they ended up on. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they definitely, there was one, they were sold behind the counter. They were big collector's items for a while and that's why I had I had boxed copies of both of those games for a little bit and uh, <laughs> sold them for a decent amount of money 
Uh, but they're very bad. They're very, very terrible. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game, better than those, uh, I will say. It's not a great game, but better than those and less offensive than those. Yeah. Like, there's really nothing particularly violent here unless you have a very vivid imagination. But really, the Texas Chainsaw game we want to talk about is one that came out just like a month ago. This is like the most current game that we have played. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a brand new game that just came out, and it is a asymmetrical online uh, multiplayer game. And this is a trend that's kind of been happening with a lot of horror movie games recently. It started by Dead by Daylight, which was a game sort of inspired by Friday the 13th, but they had this whole lawsuit thing involving that, like where they couldn't use the images. Eventually, Friday the 13th made their own version of that game. Uh, There was the Friday the 13th video game, which was this asymmetrical multiplayer game. One person would play as Jason, the others would play as his victims, and you would need to try and survive against him. It's a sticky concept. It's a cool idea. And I think they're trying to apply it to more and more horror licenses. Earlier this year, we also got an Evil Dead game that's very much like this as well. But the Texas Chainsaw one seems to be kind of popping off more than a lot of the others. The Evil Dead one is definitely very different because it's a much more open world. There's cars and vehicles. Yeah. You, like, have objectives to make. Uh, you can get guns and weapons to fight with and stuff. Um, but other than that, yeah, a similar premise of where you have the survivors trying to fight a smaller number Was of killers. Was the Evil Dead one online as well? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that, I think, I don't know what's going on with these games. Maybe they're just dipping in popularity, but the Evil Dead one has been, it hasn't been discontinued, but they did say they're going to not release any more ports or update it with any more DLC. The Jason one is dead. Uh, as of now and that's because of uh, uh, copyright issues there's been a long bloody struggle over the copyright issues for Friday the 13th it's been stretching on for decades and it's uh, a a lot of these play into the concept of games as a service where they try to keep the game alive for a handful of years through additional content stuff like that usually it's a lot of paid content so that they can keep making money from a longer period of time from one IP and my understanding was the Friday the 13th one, they had a really decent uh, roadmap of yeah. features and things that they wanted to do. But as soon as the litigation started in the background, they weren't directly involved in the litigation. It was they had licensed rights to make the game, but the litigation was over whether or not the person who licensed them the rights had the ability to license the rights. So they had to put a stop on everything because like we can yeah. spend a lot of money doing what we want to do. And at any moment, this whole thing can be pulled out from under us. And then sure enough, that's what ends up happening. Exactly. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> it all gets very, very complicated. And I imagine, I mean, just knowing how complicated the rights to the Texas Chainsaw have been, uh, they're, they're, we might run into a similar problem, although there haven't been the same like vicious legal battles over who gets to well, claim And these. that's the interesting thing is one of the early killers in Dead by Daylight is uh, a Leatherface leather analog, at least. And no, yeah, it's Leatherface. It's like literally him? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and so that's... I thought you said like, his name was Bubba. And... That's what they refer to him as. Like, because they gave so, people... so I think it's just so, meant to be a... like a like an analog. Like I think it's meant to be a a, a leatherface type, right? Like it's just no, kind of a big Hulk and hillbilly. Oh, I'm 
no, that's see. Leatherface. Oh, no, that's definitely yeah. him. Yeah. That's absolutely the likeness. Wow. Okay. Um, well, they just went for it. They just called him Bubba Sawyer. And, like, at the end, when he does his little, like, chainsaw ragey thing, yeah. uh, that is, like, part of his primary ability. Uh, he revs up the chainsaw and just goes berserk, swinging it around. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, and it's... This concept is kind of a it's a really cool one. Like it's an idea that I always like the idea that one team is like more powerful, but the other team has more numbers, you know, yeah. and uh, I think one of the early ones was Left for Dead. A Left for Dead is kind of similar, but that's yeah, uh, it was it, definitely uh, early intro into the concept of like we have two teams that have yeah. very different. And that one's, that one's thing was more that it had, like, slingshotting difficulty, like, depending on how well, well you're doing. That's the yeah. thing is, that was the single player. The multiplayer had all of that stuff, except yeah. all of the special infected were played by humans. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, uh, it was very fun, and then uh, it just kind of led into spawning a lot of games that narrowed that more and more. But um, Texas Chainsaw's approach to this is uh, you have two teams. You know, obviously none of the characters are going to be as powerful as a Jason type, you know. So you have two teams where one plays the family, the slaughter family as they're called, and the other plays the victims. So the people in the sl in the family are trying to protect their property and kill all the victims yeah, and feed grandpa. And in the family you have the three people from the actual um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You've got Leatherface. You've got the they call him the cook, uh, and then the hitchhiker. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they have um, Sissy and Bill Johnny. John I, I keep wanting to call him Billy, but he's Johnny. Yeah. And those are two. I think those are two original creations for this game. So I guess in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, they're introduced as uh, he's referred to as Bubba Sawyer. So oh, okay. They get, like, oh, so that is his names. name. Okay. Yeah. All right. I guess I never knew what his actual name was. Because, yeah, in here they call him the Slaughter family, and that's the Sawyer family. So, But, yeah, so the, if you're choosing as the family, you need to defend the property and hunt down the victims. You have special abilities, and you have weapons and things like that. The victims don't really have weapons unless you can gather, like, shards of bone or something like that uh, to defend yourself with. Look, so your goal is mostly to evade and escape. Let's be real. I've, I've seen some TikToks that I believe you can get, like, oh, some one-time use stuff, like a knife to stun and stuff. Uh, we're As with any asymmetrical horror game, you are not good at it when you play it for the first time. Yeah. I... Struggle bust. I <laughs> full force panicked, opened the scoreboard, spun around a bunch of times, and then when we finally sorted out closing the scoreboard, what I had wanted to do had been accomplished, but I wasted so much time because I was squeezing through a crack. Yeah. Leatherface came around and just fucking destroyed me. Uh, you know, and along again, with we, uh, Sissy as well. Yeah, we, Sissy we, did the most of the the, the finishing blow. But. We we were dropping in completely fresh on this, so like yeah. no one can really blame you but for that. Well, it's really hard because like um I was I really wanted to play um the one of the victims, but like we kept spinning up, and we probably tried to get a game as a victim for a good 20 25 minutes and then we just had to play family this yeah. is the thing um, this this is the big problem because all of that that we've said has sound it sounds really promising i think the game when you're actually in it uh is functional and fun like i think it works to the degree it wants to but we had a real problem with matchmaking i don't know yeah. if it's just like maybe it's the storm interfering maybe we just caught it on a slow <clears throat> night but for a game that is very popular like you mentioned justin it's up very popular on tiktok and social media 
uh, not a lot of people were playing when we were trying to. Yeah, and obviously, like we said, we're not familiar with this particular game. I played a lot of Dead by Daylight, so I was like, all right, we'll see how this compares. But it's absolutely a game that you have to play a little bit or know how things work, watch a few videos or something beforehand Yeah, in order to actually, like, understand everything. Like, we were... We were like on that edge of where we're like, okay, we're starting to understand the abilities. We're starting to understand how some stuff works. But the fact that it was taking – because the way it works is you start to queue into a match and you get like five minutes. And by the end of five minutes, if you don't have a full game of seven players, four uh, victims and three of the family, the killers – uh, it just closes out and you have to start oh. over. And so we would get six out of seven and then it would close out and start over. Well, and the crucial thing too is that you can't start a game unless you have Leatherface. Yeah. Leatherface needs to be in the family no matter what. And it seemed like nobody really wanted <laughs> to take on that role. Leatherface has additional abilities. But Leatherface was really clunky. It was he a very is. clunky character. Like he's a he's and, a big like burly yeah. guy like who's not terribly smart. He doesn't have a lot of abilities necessarily. He does have the chainsaw. You get the chainsaw mechanic where you need to rev it up to start it, which takes a second. And you can use that to destroy barriers and like kind of jab it through different entryways. Yeah. The other characters felt like they were much more limited. Although I think we can upgrade them as we level up a little bit, as we play I, the characters more. I think the big thing is that uh, Leatherface is mobility limited. Yeah. And for us not knowing how to play the game and not like knowing some of the map stuff or maybe like meta, uh, we playing the lumbering slow person is hard to get a grip on the game, which is why J-Band tried to play when we finally gave up on uh, the victims, tried to play as one of the normal mobility uh, family members. Yeah. And uh, we were stumped by the front of a gas station (laughs) for a long period of time. We were having a hard time just navigating this map. And again, that's that's newbies. That's that's just us kind of just dropping in without really knowing a lot about this game. And like in time, those elements will click into place. I think that's the trick with games like this is you need to put a lot of time into them and really learn the maps and learn the tactics. And memorize the maps. Exactly. Yeah. But the problem is the matchmaking was taking so long it felt like I was I was feeling pretty discouraged yeah. from learning this game. I was hoping that, because like I knew that this would probably be close to the experience that we would get, but I was hoping that we'd be able to get in like a solid five matches at least. Something. And we got three. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we, we were very three. we were level zero, to be clear. Yes. Like maybe that maybe more of the players are just higher level and they're not matching with players uh, of our level. We yeah, we were we got three matches and it took a easily an hour with one of those matches lasting six minutes yeah, before I was brutally murdered. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and then the entire time we're just seeing like, pro, like, you know, so-and-so killed so-and-so and we're like, that sounds like a, that would be more engaging than the walking simulator we're currently playing. <laughs> or I the, mean, where's the door simulator? We stared at the front of that for way too long. He was long. in shadow. I mean, I don't know. But, like, of the three of us, J-Ben was the only one who ever, ever actually managed to land a kill. I did. Well, I almost okay, landed a kill. And stolen. then the the execute, like, I didn't know how to execute yeah. them. There was, like, there's slash, slash, slash. And then there was, like, a different button to execute the p- victim. Um, so, 
uh, I think the problem that we had, uh, I didn't have this problem because I didn't encounter anything to require this problem because I just ran around panicking the whole time. Yeah, I you guess did. I, You've made such I, adorable <laughs> screams. Uh, this is uh, my friends enjoy that aspect of us playing Dead by Daylight at least for is a it little you bit. Squeal. It's, oh yeah, I I am like ah oh yeah. god. Um, but. Uh, the button prompts to interact with things were a little difficult. Some like you oftentimes, usually games give you a little bit of leeway. If you're not immediately on top of the door, you can still see the thing. And what would happen is we would brush across the door. The prompt would come. We go, oh, we can open this door. Then we'd go back and we look at the door and the prompt. We would see that there would is a prompt we could do, but we weren't close enough to actually get the button. Right. Like to pop up the little like tool tip to be like, oh yeah, press. X to open the door, or whatever. I think it was actually square. Um, and then when J Band gets the person down, you had to be like looking from what I could tell, you'd be standing on them, looking directly down on top of them, or else you couldn't get the prompt because it was there for a moment and J Band tried to hit it, but it popped up while she was moving. And then it was that clunkiness of like, all right, how do I find this? And in that time period, the guy stood back up. And then Leatherface came in and stole it. Stole it, it yeah. Um, and so it was, it was a little bit clunky on that. And I don't think, like, maybe with more experience with the game and being more familiar with that, we'd get it down. Yeah. But it, it's an interesting thing to have, especially just the interaction with the environment, let yeah. alone, like, not necessarily the characters. I can see wanting to be closer for How that. How does the suspense angle compare to Dead, Dead by Daylight? Um... I'm not going to lie. I've played Dead by Daylight enough that there's not really a whole lot of suspense. Mm. Um, it's mostly just panic. Sure. Um, you call it panic. I call it suspense. Yeah. Uh, no, because I think that we were getting some suspense. Uh, I, when I played, we were getting some suspense. Uh, be, being the killer and not, not knowing how to play the game is way less good feeling, I think. I can imagine. But uh, no, I, I thought it was... Not knowing what I was doing, it was kind of suspenseful because I didn't know, like, all right, in Dead by Daylight, you get a heartbeat when people get close. It's like a vibration or a noise that you hear. Yeah. And we were playing on the PlayStation, and I was getting vibrations immediately off the bat. And it was because every time I made a noise, it vibrated the controller. Yeah. And so I was, like, trying to figure out, are they near me? Is this what's happening? What's the deal? Um, because, fun fact, there is an intro, and it tells you a lot of stuff. It doesn't tell you about that. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's a difficult game to kind of evaluate uh, because it's so based on your experience uh, at this particular time you're trying to play it. It's based on how many players happen to be logged yeah. in and like are on your level at that point. So like I'm, I'm acknowledging that some of the I, I'm not even going to say that some of the problems were on our end. It was more just like the timing was wrong. I really liked the production design on yes. this game. I feel like they recreated the house while also creating a basement and also creating uh, an extended um, map uh, that um, so it was like you're you were in the movie, but also you weren't limited by the movie. I mean, I'm, yeah, I, I was really excited by the attention to detail and like all the little references like the victims when they gain points, they call them star sign points because it's based on the character in the van, like reading their star signs. Uh, they're, the, the gas station they're at is called Henkel's after Kim Henkel, the co-writer of the movie. Like that's, I like the little nods and the attention to detail that they had there. I, I will say that this game looked 
so much better than Dead by Daylight. Oh, Dead sure. by Daylight. At one point, they released a patch that removed the graphic settings from the PC version, so okay. you couldn't. So everybody had to play on the original Xbox One settings, basically. Um, so everyone's on the same playing field. And that was rough. Yeah. This game coming out on the PlayStation 5, Xbox One X, uh, it looked good. Yeah. Like no, you did. were saying, like it definitely looked like everything from the environment outside to the houses and the buildings Yeah, definitely looked like somebody paid attention. And they, they put effort in. They were definitely putting details and fun little bits uh it's interesting they got the likeness of um the family uh but they didn't uh bother to get the likeness of like the classic 70s uh Texas chainsaw massacre victims uh, yeah they got at least the three main uh family members but yeah none of all of the other like victim characters were just sort of generic composite characters and i think Maybe that's something for a future patch or a download. There are other characters from the family they could add in, and there are victim characters that they can add in. But again, th there seems to be a lot of confusing licensing issues coming up with this uh, property. But, you know, so it's it's one of those games that's hard to really give a fair shake unless you've had a little bit more time. I think I'm going to keep trying with it mm -hmm. because I, I would like to... Uh, I would like to get a little better at it. I would like to understand more about how you build out your character and like optimize for specific situations. Um, if I was playing this, I would like I would love to memorize the map, like oh. especially uh, especially if I was the uh, yes. playing as the victim or playing as the, um, the family, um, like the the map. Because uh, like I feel like with online games. Uh, like there's always this learning curve until you memorize the map. Right. So I'm going to throw out some little facts on the game while I have this up. Okay. Um, first off, it was published by Gun Interactive, which is the same company that published Friday the 13th. There you go. That makes um, sense. Yeah. I, I imagine they shifted their energy over to this rather than deal with uh, all the lawsuit bullshit. It, it is a different uh, developer that did it, mm -hmm. um, but it is interesting that they went for another kind of similar game. Uh, definitely seems like they... Yeah, Friday, the, the Friday game was still popular. You know, it's a rare game where like it, it got deleted and shut down for legal reasons, but not because it like dipped yeah. in popularity at all. Uh, <clears throat> the stunt double in the 1990s, uh, Texas, the chain, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre three, Leatherface, uh, yeah, did the voice for Leatherface, oh. and oh. Edwin Neal is the voice of the hitchhiker, which mm -hmm. is apparently his original role. Oh. Yes. He is uh, an Austin uh, local. He's still he's still around. He's uh, yeah. The, a, a lot of the cast members from this movie have uh, passed on. It has been fifty years, but yeah, Edwin Neal's still with us. Still, still, uh, and so is the actor playing the grandpa. Ironically, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think we can probably safely wrap it up yeah. here. Um, uh, let's move on to our rankings, where we decide if this is a good movie, good game, a bad movie, bad game, or somewhere in between. Oh, so Henkel. Uh the person that they uh, licensed the game from was yeah. actually from Kim Henkel. Yeah. Um, and he only had the rights to the 1974 film. That's right. Yeah. And it, so there was something complicated there. Like he directed the uh, the Next Generation movie. Like yeah, it gets all complicated. But, yeah. but Toby Hooper had did pass about ten years ago now. So like yeah, the the rights have reserved back. But let's move on to our rankings. Um, I am gonna go. I'm going to go great movie, and uh, I'm, I'm going to give a provisional good game because I liked what I was seeing here. The issues we were having were kind of beyond our control. 
which is kind of a problem I have with this style of game in general. I was thinking about like why I didn't get more into the Friday the 13th game because it's something that's very much up my alley. But I'm recalling that I sort of hit a lot of the same snags of just like uh, running into matchmaking issues and finding enough people to play with. And it's generally why I steer away from online games in general. And that's just me personally. Um, but I, I think there's potential in this game here. I think there's a lot of detail. I think there's clearly a reverence for the license. Uh, and I think this movie is absolutely incredible. J-Man, how about you? Um, so I'm going to say, not only is it a good movie, I'm going to say it's a classic. Yes. Uh, yes so I'm going to give it a special little like, classic asterisk. Uh, <laughs> a clasterisk. A clasterisk. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to say, I really enjoyed the gameplay. Like, uh, even though, like, it drove me crazy waiting over 25 minutes for a match. It yeah. drove me crazy. Um, and, um, I was so frustrated uh and um when i finally got to play i was like this is so much fun but what am i gonna get to play 10 minutes every hour this is um, so i'm gonna say good game but i'm gonna say like uh, something needs like uh justin was making fun of me because um i'm like you should just have an ai play it so people can actually play the game yeah uh and he's like I understand the motivations behind not creating that, but if you want these online games to have legs, you need to give them some legs. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, definitely an issue with that. I'll, I'll say, uh, do we just start with movie or game? I've, I've oh, we go movie first. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I consider it an okay movie, but I think it's definitely my, difference in uh personal likes sure um i don't think it was a bad movie for sure but it wasn't a movie that i really enjoyed that much That's um, fair. It, it's a movie that if you like horror movies watch it and yeah. uh depending if you like all horror movies you'll probably enjoy it if you don't like all horror movies we'll find out um either way you got to knock a like a canonical horror movie yeah, off your yeah. list like you've yeah it's one of the big ones um and the game I think provisional good game it seemed like it was fun um I loved your screams <laughs> yes <laughs> look that's my the favorite screams part were the highlight is, yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> but definitely you panicking and the bu the menu buttons coming up <laughs> yes I have used a PlayStation controller twice in the last decade and they were both part of this. It was Ratchet really? and Clank in this game. Oh, wow. Um, I've been using Xbox controllers for a very long time. Yeah. And a mouse and keyboard primarily most of the time. But uh, the matchmaking was rough. Yeah. It was to the point of where we would start the matchmaking and then we would go outside and watch the storm. Yeah, and yeah. And then we would come back and just check, and then we'd go back to watching the storm. It was that frustrating thing of like, <laughs> oh, we've got everyone locked in, everyone locked in. Oh, this guy doesn't want to be Leatherface. Damn it! All right, we got to start all over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it feels like I, there's something that can be done to streamline. I that. loved that moment where Steve is like the guy switches over to Leatherface because there's two of the family and we're waiting for the third one. Somebody finally joins and the guy who'd switched to Leatherface switched off 
And Steve was like, what does he think is going to happen? And I'm like, this is bullying. (laughs) Yeah, it is. This is is a form of bullying. It's like, look, now you're the reason this game's not starting. Yeah, yeah, basically. I I think that's a tweak that could be – I understand the reasoning behind it. Like, he's the only one who can get through these certain areas or whatever. But, like, it it feels limiting because people – like, he's not necessarily the most fun to play. Yeah, and this is an issue that Dead by Daylight faces back and forth here and there depending on – the different balancing of like which team is the most powerful right now where people trend towards the team that wins. Yeah. And so it's part balancing and then part like matchmaking methodologies of you're trying to get people of similar region and uh, skill level. But at some point, if matches just aren't happening, yeah, something needs to change, whether it's in balancing or it's in the matchmaking method. And I'm, because, I'm willing to predict we're going to see a lot of changes. And this game is a month old. This is the yeah. absolutely the re- most recent game that we have ever played. Well, and, and so, I think like, more it's still people are going to buy it in the month of October. For oh yeah, that might absolutely. Be too. Well, a lot of the traffic is going to be driven by this episode. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. most <laughs> people are going to be listening uh, to this. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, as we said, we have a whole month of spooky games coming up, uh, so we're really excited to get into all of those. Next week is going to be fun as well because uh, we are going to cross over with my other podcast. Yes, I have a podcast called Puppet Masters Castle Freaks where we are covering all of the full moon movies, and there was recently released a Puppet Master game. So we are going to be talking about Puppet Master the Game with my co-host from my other podcast, Jared Hornbeck. He's going to come on. We're going to This is another online multiplayer game, but I think we are going to be actually able to set up matches against each other. Like we'll actually be able to play against people that we know. Yeah, uh, which I think is going to be more conducive to what we're trying to do. Um, and I'm excited to get into it and lend the small amount of expertise I have to the <laughs> Puppet Master universe. So uh, be sure to check out next week. We'll be back for Puppet Master and uh, all this month, lots of spooky options. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, stay tuned. It might even be too spooky. (laughs) Arguably too spooky. The number two spooky. Yeah, too fast, too spooky. The two is so close to Boo. It's alarmingly close to Boo. I can't believe people don't talk about this more. All right, everybody. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye.